0: Talking industry, providing the manufacturing community with a voice and connecting industry. The Live Editions, brought to you from the Manufacturing Technology Centre in partnership with Oinkner, Rittel and ePlan. Okay, well, uh, good morning. My name is Andy Pye. I'm consultant editor at DFA Media Group, and we publish a range of print and online titles in the manufacturing and automation sector. It uh, be my pleasure to uh, to be chair for the day for all the sessions which are happening in this theatre. Um, just to thank our event partners, which are MTC, who provide this wonderful facility for us, um, Rittal, ePlan, Eichner, and our media partners, who are Stone Junction. Okay. Right, well, you now know where the fire drill is, which is where the fire exit is. Um, there are no fire drills planned, so if you hear a fire alarm, the thing to do is not to panic, but to leave in an orderly fashion via this door to my right. It's supposed to be a one-way system, but come in quickly. We will have a one-way system, so we will ask you at the end to leave by this door so that we can bring in people for the next session. Um, after this keynote speech, which I will get onto in a moment, we have three more sessions in this theatre today. 10.30 to 11.15, we have a Talking Industry Live session on robotics and automation. 11.30 to 12.15 um, on increasing OEE, which as you'll all know is overall equipment effectiveness through digital manufacturing. And at two o'clock after lunch, we'll cover the rather more technical subject of industrial data and artificial intelligence. Before I start, I'll just explain to you how the Q&A will work. Um, You'll see on the screen at the moment uh, a telephone number, no telephone number, but a QR code. And the QR code, if your phones can work it, will take you to a WhatsApp group. And if you text um, a question into the WhatsApp group, it will appear on my console here. So that's how we're going to work. but if, uh, if you find that really hard, um, which I would, um, there's also um, on page 17 of Drives and Controls, which you will all have in your bag that you've picked up, um, there are instructions including a telephone number as well. And if all of that fails, if you put your hands up, we will respect people who ask questions by putting their hands up, that traditional method. And my partner, Aaron here, with a microphone will come amongst you and you can ask your questions that way. So hopefully we've got all questions covered. Right, I must move on quickly to the keynote. Um, I will say very little about this because I think it will be self-explanatory, but we have two speakers who are going to do a double act. Um, in talking industry, we, we, call, we, we call talking industry rather like a jazz composition. So we're going to refer to this as a duet And hopefully it will be both entertaining and informative. And Dr. Megan Renane is an expert in industrial technologies and manufacturing. She has 20 years of experience in the field and is head of industrial technologies and manufacturing at Innovate KTN, where she leads a team that provides support and funding for innovative manufacturing projects in the UK. So hopefully, if some of you want to follow the same path, then that might seed some questions later. And Mike Haig-Morgan is going to tell us about one of those paths. Um, Again, highly respected figure in the manufacturing industry, 30 years of experience in the sector. He doesn't look old enough, really, does he? (laughs) Um, But he's executive director of Autocraft Solutions Group, and he oversees a global company, that provides bespoke engineering projects and solutions for some of the world's leading automotive manufacturers. So they're going to tell us how that story started and with, that, with no further ado, because we have to be disciplined and we have 40 minutes left, uh, I will hand over to Megan.
1: Thanks Andy. So hi everyone. You'll notice you've got a post-it on your chair and if it's not on your chair because it's fallen off it'll be on the ground somewhere. So if you can each have a post-it um, I've written those for you. So each word is to describe the UK manufacturing sector. but it's also a positive affirmation for yourself today and for the show. Um, so you might have a word saying, um, manufacturing is you know talented, is innovative, is inspiring. but I also want you to think about how as the manufacturing community, I am inspiring, I am innovative. Um, so and I'm very into my yoga and positive affirmation. so I just wanted to start the day with that and share that with you. So I've written all those for you, so please share them. And if something resonates with Mike's story today, I thought you could hold up your post-it. So if you've got, you know, manufacturing is bold or I am bold and you think Mike's been really bold on his journey, you could hold up your post-it if you wanted to be a bit more interactive. So we're going to start with taking you through a 15-year journey um, with Mike's company, Autocraft Solutions Group. So we're going to start in 2007. So Innovate UK, the government's innovation agency, has just formed. I've just started at the University of Birmingham to start a 10-year research career on how to define UK manufacturing. Um, Mike, you've just kind of become a commercial director of a multinational company after a great career in the Midlands, in the forging industries, and you then get approached to come and join, get headhunted to join ASG.
2: Yeah, so um, I was headhunted to join craft. It was a business that had been a very traditional business, uh, making engines, remanufacturing engines. So, very hands on, very manual, very skills based business. Uh, but um, remanufacturing back in the 80s and 90s, before engines were that reliable, huge volumes. But as engines got more and more reliable, because the quality of producing high volume got better, our volumes fell away. And it was a similar story that I'd just been through in the casting forging industry, where there was overcapacity, things had moved east, so nobody had enough uh, order book, uh, and they wanted somebody the experienced to come into the business that could kind of see about consolidating it, turning, ar- ar- turning it around. So I was asked to join the business to be part of the leadership team to turn it around. Uh, and we were given two years to do it. I had to do my six month gardening leave, uh, and I joined, um, and then six weeks later, Lehman Brothers went bust. So I had a business that was already losing a million um, and we thought "Oh, credit crunch, this is going to be a disaster, we're never going to be able to survive all of this, we're already in a mess. Um, But we've got through it, what we're going to talk about is how we got through it.
1: Yeah, so so interestingly in 2007 manufacturing output was actually 28% higher than in 1970 and the UK hit its peak of manufacturing in 1966 when we won the World Cup as well, so um, really interesting fact, but as we were saw in 2007-2008, we're hitting the economic recession. Mm. So how did you manage to get stability taking over that company and join
2: Well, uh, initially we, we had, to, had to, you've got to cut your cloth, haven't you? And we had an American parent, big PLC, that had some hugely <laughs> really wonderful assets in mobile phone technology. And then they had this business in the UK that was sticking out. It was losing money, it was old engine stuff. Which didn't really have a, a, any value for them. And then, frankly, what I realized um, a couple of years later is they only wanted me to front it up because they didn't want to fall out with the customers. So they gave me a job, and it was a bit of a stitch up because they didn't, frankly, want to succeed. They wanted to have the excuse to close it, but close it to say, oh, they tried. Um, and it got to 2008. We have a summer barbecue for the employees, and, and we were sat there, sat there with my wife, and I could see. Generations, lots of businesses have. Like I can see the grandfather worked for us. It was actually the daughter and the grandson worked for us. And I thought, we're under pressure. We've got to turn this round, And we were still, we we're really struggling at that point. So um, they asked for a new business plan. So we put a new business plan in. Um, didn't like it. Then I spent that Christmas. They said, right, calculate everybody's redundancy. And I spent it in a really, you know, see the apprentice, they got that crappy calf. Wow. Well, I was in a horrible, um, hotel in Grantham, the cheapest they could find, with their lawyers on how much to shut the business. So I'd worked out now how much it was of their money to shut the business, which was key information. Uh, and um, but I went over and presented a final business plan. Right, this is it, this is the business plan, this is gonna have a massive conference room in Chicago, all the global heads of this huge global PLC, and they just ripped me to pieces. Um, and I just lost my temper. <laughs> and I got—I literally got my wallet out and I went, Well, I'll let him buy it then. <laughs> and I got, uh, the, So we, we ran it between us, me and the MD, who'd been there many years. Steve's kicking me. Don't do this. Anyway, I was made an example of get out, sit in the bar, I'll talk to you afterwards. You're not speaking to me like a So we went out. It's the only time I've, I've been in a bar in a hotel for five and a half hours and not had a beer. <laughs> so five and a half hours later, he comes down um, and he says, uh, right. You wanna buy it? I said, how much are you willing to pay? So a bit of an, a bit of a haggle. Um, have you got the money? Yes, I got the money. And the lawyers with him, who oh, I happen to know anyway, he said, Okay, you got four weeks to buy it, the lawyer's coming back, she can't back with you, you've got four weeks to buy it. You haven't bought it in four weeks, you're fired. So, yeah. So I went to the loo. <laughs> <laughs> Call the wife. And I said to Lindsay, I said, uh, you know, I believe this. They, she said, how did the business plan go? Do you like it? No. <laughs> uh, so what's happened? She said, well, we've got four weeks to buy the business, so I'm fired. She said, we're in a recession. We've just had a baby. We've got an extension that you've half built. Um, we're Wait, So travelled back, and, and we, we got in the car. So got in the car with their lawyer, and it literally had to be with me supposedly fully for four weeks. I got in the car, and it was, his name was Ryan. He said, you haven't got the money, have you? I said, no. But you can get it, can't you? I, said, I bloody hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so I got, I got to Chicago Airport, um, called Brian, who's now uh, with us as a shareholder, uh, worked for Brian before. Uh, I said, Brian, I, I need some money. Um, and I need it pretty quickly. So he said, oh, I'll give, a give, give. Night flight, the time I landed, phoned him, phoned him, phoned him, couldn't get through to him, couldn't get through to him. Stopped off in the services on the M1 and, and said, yeah, we've got the money. Um, but you've got to go and find um, £67,500. Oh, I didn't have burn money. I didn't have 67500 quid. It's so for me mum. <laughs> she just retired us from a teacher. And bless her. She said, yeah, I'll, you can have my lump sum, but I need it back in a year. So, so that's how we got it. And I think it's an important part of the story mm-hmm. because it's a cultural thing. If you're going to take a business and you're going to make Massive step changes, as we'll show you in a minute, you've got to be willing to have a punt. Okay. And that was the difference between being an owner managed business and being a, a PLC. A PLC where you've got to fill in loads of forms to justify five or ten grand. So, capex forms are one page for us, not that much. Yeah. Because a lot of the technology, which we're we'll going to talking about now and the business plan, you, you, you don't know very often on the journey. You know it's right, and instinctively it's right, but quantifying it before you spend the money is very different, mm-hmm. difficult, yeah. which is why I always say, and you'll see some of this, start simple, start cheap. That's yeah. just a few thousand pounds can make a massive difference, and that gets you on the right so way. We've
1: got some pictures of, did you want to talk about this? Yeah, really
2: so um, mm-hmm. five years. Um, so from initially taking that bold move, I needed to pay my mum back. So the first five years <laughs> about paying my mother back. Uh, and then we wanted to take it to the next journey, and it was it was on that second five years where I started to talk to Ben, mm-hmm. uh, Innovate UK, and we couldn't have done this without Innovate UK because it opened up a whole new world to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first five years, very much get on stable footing. I've got some pictures. Um, of how yeah, it was. so this is, <laughs> this is what it was like. So it was it was a business that does this makes transit van engines. It makes thirty to a shift, but you'll see there's lots of paperwork and lots of hand tools, and just translating serial number or um, a talk or a value from one, you get loads of mistakes and things like that. And it's those quality things which were, which were really holding us back. And the business plan that you just saw is what you're going to do. So I'll even go back a slide, yeah. but very quickly. So <clears throat> that is our business plan. It's a one pager. Uh, but the important structure of it is you'll see at the bottom the projects, each of those projects, if you do those projects right and they're all to give a step change in the business, you get the output at the top. Uh, it's the same format I've used for many, many years, um, and, and it's just built into the business now. Yeah. So if you just go, if you just click on it a little bit further for me. So that's where we were. Yeah. And then, back in 2014, we uh, did our first journey. So I was talking to Ben at this point. Um, so and I should I've...
1: clarify. So Ben Peace was head of manufacturing. If any of you met him before at Innovate UK, KTN. So I've taken over from Ben. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, so around 2015, you've stabilised the company. Stabilize the
2: company. So
1: we've got from 7 million to about about 14, 14 by that point. Right okay yeah. 14 million and And 2015 was the time when I just finished my PhD on the competitiveness of UK manufacturing and the research in that came out at service led strategies so customization, traceability, flexibility mm. but to do all of that kind of competitiveness you need the technology so we then start talking about Industry 4. So Industry 4, or the fourth industrial revolution, started in 2011. But I actually feel in industry, it got adopted in 2014, 2015 as the buzzword. Mm. And then the Made Smarter Review came out in 2017. Um, and KTN and Innovate UK started doing more about this digital adoption. Yep. And that's where you met MP around yep. 2014, 2015. 2014,
2: 2015. And started going to workshops, days like this, really important. That's another thing, you know. I've worked for some companies before, you had to justify a day out to go to something like this, and you had to do a report, et cetera, et cetera. With our company, we've, we switch it off now because it happens naturally, but to force, the right thing about, go and see what's out there in the world, every employee had to go that were in the, not so much shop floor, but all of the engineers, they had to go and do two events in 12 months, and they were measured on that as part of their, go and open, Just see what's out there. It doesn't have to be automotive, you want see a food plant, some great technology and food plants, for example, um, do things like this. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, for, met, uh, met Ben, um, KTN, started going to a few events. Um, was in a meeting with Ford, coming back to an airport. I know that you've been to Dusseldorf, but to get the cheapest hire car, it's right at the top. And you've got to drive up this damn helder-skelter. Uh, and I'm driving up there and I've got a customer absolutely shouting and swearing at me about an engine that I delivered with a, was a V6 with a V8 manifold. I, you just cannot do it. I mean, it's that much longer for starters. <laughs> but I couldn't prove it, okay? Couldn't prove it, and he wouldn't let me go. I'm rushing for the plane, and he thought it was just really an excuse to cut him off. Uh, so I'm, I'm getting out this hire car, um, and the, the, the person I was giving the car back to he said, don't worry, Mr. Hagen-Morgan, I've got it. I thought, I've got my name. <laughs> I step stepped back from the car, and he's got, and he's got a handheld device. And he's, there's a barcode on the rear quarter panel. This is the first time I'd ever seen one of these handheld scanners. Mm-hmm. So he was just, and there was a script saying, getting him to photograph, compare a photograph of the car when I had it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, hey. So I said to the, the customer, I said, look, if you don't get anywhere with this conversation, I've got to catch my flight. I'll call you back tomorrow. So got airside, right? waiting at the gate, um, and I'll come with a picture I'll phone one of my, my graduates, because I'm very keen on taking on graduates, if I can. Um, not every year you can afford it, but you do, we do when we can. Um, and I phoned Sean and I said, um, "I've just seen one of these scanners." I said, "Well, our engines, this problem, we've got this manifold. If we photographed it before we sent it out." And we sent it up to a cloud. The customer doesn't have to shout me. They can, so I put it on my, my personal Google Drive, which just, you know, I don't know, breaks a lot of protocols. But I gave that to my customer's help desk, and they were able to see every engine. We never had a complaint after that. I was paying 400000 a year in warranty claims mm. with, with dealers fitting my engines and claiming that they were wrong when I shipped them. That, that cost, Sean spent £2,500 on some scanners. Mm-hmm. Um, and within a few weeks, because he was a young Bright graduate, he started writing these scripts. Mm-hmm. So that was the first thing that we did. And then people in your business can see hang on, we've done something. This industry forum, particular uh, industry four, you go to industry four, and you go, particularly if you go to mainland Europe, a lot of it is really big stuff. Mega expensive to do, doesn't need to be. Mm-hmm. I, I'll go the other way with it. So, so that was the first thing on the journey. Yeah. And that got the appetite and it got the confidence within your workforce as well. So some of the people that were a bit doubting, well, actually this, this, this could actually work. Um, so then 2015, um, no fault, forward. We, we needed to put a line in uh, for JLR. Um, they at the time had couldn't make enough, a bit like now actually couldn't make enough Range Rovers and had a waiting list. Uh, and the constraint was engines at the time. Uh, so we put a flat, low volume line in. And that was a step, that was the first time we used HMI screens, um, uh, DC tooling, some sensors to make sure you did the right bolt in the right order. Mm. Massive step forward. Two million pound check we had, to, we had to go and get and, and, and find and fund ourselves. Um, but it was a big step forward. Mm-hmm. But it all had to be third party people that we bought in. So mm-hmm. we went to a well-known name of a global company that I won't mention now. but. Um, and we bought a solution from them and we adapted their existing solution. And what we'd actually done is effectively taken something which wasn't that flexible, made it flexible, and then they had something that I'd pay 2 million quid for, which they were then selling at 10 million pound a pop all over the world. I didn't get any money back for that. In fact, whenever I wanted them to come in, because I had to wait for the engineer and I had to pay them stupid amounts for an engineer to be on site, you know, 1,200, 1,400 pound a day. I couldn't make the slightest little change without paying them for it. So Ben took me to a workshop, mm-hmm. uh, Cannon Street in Birmingham. There was a little, uh, in a, a little coffee hub type thing, flexible working space there. Uh, and we were doing um, uh, one of the KTN workshops on where you get to meet other industries and meet other people. Um, and There was one table where one of the guests hadn't turned up. So Ben just did it. And he didn't mean to do it. But he did a speed data for business and he put me at, um, with a spotty kid <laughs> I used to have acne so I can probably yeah. say that but <laughs> a kid in his early 20s gaming industry so I didn't realize the gaming industry is huge in the UK particularly Birmingham we've got some world-leading companies so what Innovate UK KTN had done had brought, brought together people you'd never normally talk to I've just come back from a holiday with the kids and we've been using the, the Wii and the bowling game, or whether I did that or did that, didn't make a blind <laughs> bit of difference, um, in my opinion. Uh, I think uh, the camera's crap, I don't, I don't think it even works. And he got quite upset by that. Um, and he got me to get my mobile phone out. So, he, so, so put your mobile phone on the table. I put it on the table and said, how much did you pay for it? 800 quid. When was your last mobile phone? 18 months ago. How much did you pay for that? 800 quid. And he knew the number of megapixels in those two models, and he knew the computer power. And <clears> he <throat> introduced me to Moore's Law. Now, if I'd been paying more attention in university rather than drinking or playing football, I probably should have known about <laughs> Moore's Law. But <clears throat> he explained it to me that his job was to predict five, ten years' time mm-hmm. the computer power that a console for your home, which would typically be five or four or five hundred pounds as a console, is, what, is the market price. Plus then you might have some ed- additions, you might stretch to 800 quid or a thousand pounds. So he's writing the gaming code and everything ready for that prediction. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, if you think I'm going to dress up, bear in mind this is 2015, 2016 kind of, oh, what is it, yeah, yeah, 2015 yeah, time. It. I said, if you think I'm going to go, because he said you're not going to have a controller anymore. You'll just stand in front of the computer, you'll talk to it and you'll play the game. I said, if you think I'm putting a leotard on in my lounge with all pink baubles on, <laughs> with a green screen behind me, to play a computer game. You've got another thing coming, it's not showing. Um, and he got really indignant at this point. Um, and then I thought, oh, hang on a minute, I said, how accurate are these cameras then? He said, because he said, No, it'll see, it'll see your wrist and your hand movement and everything. I said, well, how much does this cost? He said, well, today, it's about 60,000 pounds. But Moore's law I've told you about, just think where you're going to be in five or 10 years time. I said, so I'm currently buying DC tools to, to measure that it's the right that it's an angle on a bolt mm-hmm. and the right torque. I mean, it's a bit more sophisticated than that, I know, but there are, there, there are some really They've critical fastenings. Yeah, there, yeah, there's some really critical fastenings. Yeah, this is, so this is mm-hmm. what it leads up to. So really critical fastenings um, on any engine, and there's some that aren't. Um, but I said, so in principle, I can go to Halfords and get a spanner, a 99p, And that camera will tell me if it's been on that bolt, and it will tell me if it's done 45 degrees or if it's done 50 degrees, they over-torqued it or under-torqued it. I said, yeah, about £60,000. I'm paying half a million pound a station, with, and it's very limited. It's got clunky arms and encoders and things like that, which was a massive step forward. I thought, geez, I've just spent two million quid, and I've it's outdated tech already, or it will be in 18 months. Mm-hmm. So i got very excited, um, I mean, I'm pretty impatient, and I couldn't get, even get home in time before I wanted to Google it. So Simon a uh, Head of Engineering, now our CTO, and I am stuck on that Aston Expressway in the traffic, and I phoned Simon, and he Googles it, um, and I said, yeah, there's a, there's a company here doing a Ducati gearbox, it's got a light system, so it projects the work instruction, and, and, and yeah, they've got people with hand tools, and it seems the camera seems to control it. Get him in, get him in, let's talk to him. Little family company, Belgium, little office here. Very bright sun, and the dad had put some money in for his son to develop this idea. So we got him in, a couple of weeks later, in our boardroom, give us a presentation. Ah, oh, it was an absolute car crash. <laughs> Didn't really work. Uh, and you can see he was upset and the son was upset because he, he thought this is, the, this is his big chance type of thing. And it turned out that it had, it had already failed with um, a couple of big global companies uh, previously. So he said, well, can you leave a minute? And, 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 and they'd stepped outside in the corridor. And as the management team, we had a chat and we said, well, got, we've got something here. We've got a new engine program that JLR wants us to launch in just nine months. Mm-hmm. I think not really got two million quid and I'm fed up the pain. Ex company up for getting their engineering all the time. So let's take a brave pill. Let's get them in. Can we fix it? Yes, we think we can. You know, some of the graduates that we taken on really wanted to go to the next stage by this point. Mm. So we got them in and we signed up to a five year deal with them. We just signed up to another five year deal actually, whereby they do the base software, but we knew what was wrong and together we could fix it. Mm. Nine months later. here we've got Andy. Really, ex- he he can literally build an engine with his eyes closed, um, which is another cultural thing. If we can, we can talk. Mm. Um, and the cameras, as you can see, is looking down on him, so it's watching every single thing he does. You've got computer screens. You've got your um, your, your HMI. Uh, so we've got those work instructions as well. Um, the reality is, we don't need that anymore. However, we need we, we our is our, our IATF, we nearly lost it this year because you don't need that anymore. But without IATF saying you've got a work instruction, then you can, you'll fail your IATF because it's, but you don't need it with our technology. So, this is where sometimes the, the organizations, the British standards, and the, actually they need to catch up with technology a bit faster. Okay, but that's a, yeah. that's a whole different debate. <laughs> but um, so it projects it. And if, if, any, so if anything's done in the wrong sequence, um, it tells you about it. So it's a proper no-fault forward system. And because it's, the camera is so easily programmable, you can do a V6, a V8, you can do a mm-hmm. Ford engine, Peugeot engine, it mm-hmm. doesn't matter. So when volumes change, one of the things a manufacturer about being flexible is, you put money in, that car doesn't sell, you've got an under-recovery problem. Mm-hmm. Or you put money in, the car really sells, you ain't got enough capacity. Mm-hmm. So we've created this totally generic system and it is literally, use the same datum, and then you, um, you just put, put the next engine on the next So during COVID, we, we ran right through COVID, we were able to where part shortages, run it on that engine, because we can get those parts. And then when we couldn't, we switched it. Mm. Now previously, I had about nine, 10 people, as great as Andy, that could build different engines, but everybody else could only build one or two engine types. And it used to take six months. In terms of your training, we don't train them now. A, we don't train them to build an engine. We train them to play a computer game. So yeah. you follow the light system. You can do an engine. You, you can do, and you've got the working structure of the backup. So people now join our business, and within two weeks, they are building high quality engines, for major global brands mm. no n- none of my competitors can do that mm. so none of my competitors can react to the market fast enough yeah so all of a sudden you're offering a service and a solution rather than just a well it's so many minutes what's yeah. your cheapest minute rate mm. yeah so i've moved the business from a commoditized business to a we can give you a solution we'll give you it if you're faster everybody else might not be the cheapest
1: Yeah. And a huge barrier but, but to... But look, at,
2: but look at the quality that we've got.
1: Yeah. And a huge barrier to digital adoption, as people would say, is getting the skills now. And we've obviously got a huge skills issue in this country. But if you can train in two weeks, that's opening that, that, your the, market. There's the people, yes. Yeah. So
2: the, 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 the engine builders, we can train within two weeks. Mm. And reg- that, that's, the, that's the normal standard there. Mm. So uh, the, 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 the cost to um, up-growing the business mm. Um, it's a lot less because you've yeah. got that dead cash of having people stood around. Mm-hmm. If they don't like it after two or three months, you've wasted a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and, and, they, and they really like it. And young people, they just get it yeah. because they've grown up in the digital world that we're in. So trying to get young people, school leavers or uh, people that particularly in that sort, of haven't really had a, a, stuck at a job in, in, in that period of 18 to 25, they're absolutely brilliant. They come in and they, they just take to it.
1: Yes, yeah, so let's go uh, and, on. To and, and
2: older, older people as well. Right? People
1: and culture, because obviously there has to have been a huge cultural change. So you've kind of taken bits of technology, yeah. integrated it, had a go at it. But that's a huge cultural change in itself to experiment.
2: And... Yeah, and I mean, I'm going to try and stay just after lunch. Now, so unfortunately, I've got to go. But please ask me questions later if you see me. But culturally, you can't do it in a normal management way. Um you, you. When any business where you want to change, there will be people with really strong opinions. We've always done it this way. Um, it isn't going to work, etc. Um, don't get angry with them. They 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 think that for a reason, mm-hmm. and it could be the previous management team's fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what you want to do is find a few of them and concentrate on. The doubters. Mm-hmm. Too many people, when they want to change a business, will 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 react to the to the yes people that are really up for it and doing it. Mm-hmm. They're with you anyway. If you can take some of the doubters with you at the early stage to be your disciple, as it were, I would say, you everybody comes with you, and mm-hmm. you just get a much faster transition of your business and that business culture. Not everybody will be with you even after that. And unfortunately, you'll have, you know, you do some people haven't made the journey. but probably, you know, we employ hundreds and hundreds of people, possibly one hand of people that have, that have not made the journey. Certainly, it's less than 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and part of that is allowing people to make mistakes, mm. give them enough confidence and support to try something new but be close to them, to guide them. And if they're going to fail, it failed. There's was, was another yeah. thing that KTN taught me, some of the workshops about failing fast. Never heard that before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that, so, so for your culture. And if you don't beat people up, just get in a room, talk about it. Talk mm-hmm. about what you did, what you could have done better, um, and what's the next thing you're going to do. Always leave there with a positive of, okay, so, so what are we going to do different next time? What's, our ne- what's, what's the next thing to have a go at? Yeah.
1: And just quickly on also graduate recruitment, it's yeah. actually not always about <coughs> recruiting engineers now. Well,
2: Briny. Yeah. is a class example. So just like me, she was, um, sorry, hit the microphone, <laughs> passionate. Uh, just like me, Briny was turned down by the big automotive companies because she only had a 2 1. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a 2 1 with this absolute skin in my teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've got the scars to prove it. I love actually doing hands on engineering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Bryony grew up just like me, actually, in South Wales. Uh, and Lindsay brought me her CV and said, um, You've got to have a look at this one, Mike. And uh, um, Bryony grew up on her grandfather's farm, mending tractors mm. in South Wales, And in, in a really deprived bit of South Wales, actually. And she got to Loughborough, she got, um, got really good results, managed to get to Loughborough, another mm. university the university turned me down. <laughs> but she'd been turned around at the whole milk because she didn't have a first. Mm. But she had real determination, practical skills. Mm. So Brian has been with us quite a few years now. Uh, Briany today is with a huge global customer signing off our first European-wide mm-hmm. EV program.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, which we'll come on to yeah, in, we'll, in a Yeah, because we are running
1: out of time. Yeah. So. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so to enough time for some questions. <laughs> so, yeah. They are so, coming in. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is what is doing today. So this is our mobile solution uh, and this is our fixed solution. So this is same camera technology, it doesn't matter whether it's an engine that you're building, assembling or, or whether it's an EV battery. So copy plus and flexibility of investment. So for us, when I'm talking to them about banks getting investment, engines are oh, dead. Well, actually for us, engines are going to continue for 10 or 20 years. But to get the investment, you've got to prove that it isn't going to end tomorrow. So that flexibility that we can literally put an engine or use the same camera system for a, for a battery, makes it a lot easier to finance. Yeah. That's that that's that one.
1: And then just, that's just the growth. Yeah. Steady, steady true.
2: growth. And then now we've introduced this camera technology and digital's really come into the business. Um huge growth. And there's our forecast going forward. So uh, we're around about seventy five million run rate at the moment. Um huge growth starting uh next uh, end of this year and then going to next year. Yeah. So
1: you're no longer an SME, but that's no,
2: that's a whole that's different yeah. that's a whole, <laughs> whole different conversation to have with yeah. Mike about
1: moving from an S M E to a large organisation and I'll just end on the fact that your words on your post-its actually come from our Innovate UK's Manufacturing 2050 vision and this vision is a live document that we want your feedback on and to help shape what does manufacturing look like in the next 30 years and a key part of that is digital transformation in manufacturing so thank you ever so much everyone Um, Andy's now going to lead our Q&A.
0: Thank you very much guys that's really interesting and I think two points I think first of all when you attend a talking industry event, that's the start of the event, not the finish. So when you walk out of here, you're still able to communicate with our speakers either directly or through our LinkedIn channel. So we do encourage you to do that. So what we don't cover today, we can cover afterwards. Um, We'll also be releasing podcasts and things like that about the event. Um, The second thing is what we'd really like to hear from is people who perhaps got a vision and would like to follow the same path or are reluctant because they've hit the rocks somewhere and don't know what to do. Um, And we very much got a question along those lines, actually, which is from Antonia Kay. And she says, we are a manufacturer of recycling equipment. We make a big range of kit, but we aren't big enough to have cells per machine we build. We therefore struggle to find technologies that can help automate our factory Due to the setup times. Mm. What would you recommend as a best set of first steps? We have a laser which is connected to SolidWorks, but everything else is manual: sawing, field folding, fabrication, welding, powder coating, and assembly. All are manual, despite the whole thing being in SolidWorks. What leaps out to you as an idea to start us off, please?
1: <laughs> Where's Antonia? Oh hello. <laughs> so we so you've tried quite a lot, it sounds like, or you've thought about what you want to automate in the process. But it's the size of business we are with so a turnover of just under ten million. Okay. So obviously we can
3: automate it within cells when you're getting older enough.
1: because mm. i would say mike actually you're not automated it's not. very much hands-on
2: we're not so I, I actually did a, i was last year in 20 2018 mm. and one of the slides i had was when you talk about industry <coughs> for automation i put it as a pie chart and, and we what we've done is we've taken best of people because so it's the flexibility of the people for your business and ours so i make back engines frankly in a batch of one I so make 2,000 make engines a month, I've got 600 different engine part numbers. Each part number is a variant of another family, so huge variation. You can't automate that. You've got the brilliance of people who are flexible in so many ways, but you've got the downfall that we all have a bad day and we can all make a mistake. So, so that the cameras control or help them make sure they don't make a mistake, frankly. So, if you've got some uh, similar processes where you can get camera control, um, that's more and more affordable these days to do that. Um, but I've also seen within the Catapult system, uh, sort of a traditional tool making business. So, within the group, we've, we've got one in, in Birmingham called Vertex, um, and that has got jig borers made in 1952. Um, but it's got a little Raspberry Pi on it that we've so so you can enter your job sheets there. So paperless stuff, just so you can track where things are, so that you're not transposing numbers wrong. Um, and then because you're logging on and off, and it's really cheap way of doing it, all of a sudden I've got a KPI that says that machine's really loaded, those machines aren't. So my investment plan two or three years out, I probably need another one of those, I don't need one of those. So you start to make decisions with data from some really cheap data capture. So a mixture of those two is probably where I would start. So I think MTC have got some things like that. Certainly WMG, they've got some, uh, I've got an old traditional workshop with some raspberry Pis and things in there. But, you know, the technology that you can get in a mobile phone, the AI in a mobile phone and a, and a tablet, um, start there because it's it's so cheap and so powerful.
0: So, so Megan, how would you help um, an inquiry like that? What what would you suggest? Yeah, so we,
1: we can connect you. So within the Innovate UK ecosystem is the uh, catapults that are in one now. So the high-value manufacturing catapults. So we can basically tell you where the strengths are of those catapults and put you in the right, you know, signpost you. In the right direction, and also the right, you know, maybe universities that you need to connect to, but also companies like Mike that we know where Mike's taken small yep. bits of technology and put them together and utilize skills of like graduates and computer scientists with Raspberry Pi to kind of and I are going to hate me in this room today. But you don't need to spend millions and thousands of pounds to go on this digital journey. You can start really small. Depending on where you're located, you've got the Made Smarter Adoption Program that does have grants for you to start, you know. <laughs> getting little bits of equipment. Um, we've got some funding and grants to also help manufacturers become more um, resource efficient, reduce lower carbon emissions until 26 May at the minute, so you can talk to us about funding for that. So where is your business? Uh,
2: with, uh, business, and business ah, so you're within East Midlands. Uh, yeah, so I'm on the East Midlands uh, Made Smarter um, panel as an advisor and as a, as a as very much pushing that for funding. So you can get somebody to come in, advise you when you d- do a digital roadmap for you. You can get that for free. Um, there's £20,000 worth of funding. So if you can identify some projects to get some digital in, um, great program. Talk to me afterwards or just just go met- on the internet, Made Smarter East Midlands, it'll pull it up. Through. I think there's some people here today. There's a
1: panel session on Made Smarter Adoption
0: next.
1: There you go. So Sit go to it. that. There you go. Go to that. Right. <laughs> <coughs> But happy okay. to talk to you afterwards.
0: As well. that, that's absolutely fabulous. Um, now, is anybody else want to ask a question by raising their hands? That would be in the same category. We've got some other electronic questions, so uh, more than happy to take mm-hmm. a, a raised hand question.
1: He sat too far back.
0: Sat in the dark. There he is. I can barely see him. The upskilling of your staff on the move from ice to EV, what sort of investment, what sort of training, and how is that accepted culturally
2: within the business? Um, Culture-wise, you don't need to worry about it because you you, you can't touch media without thinking ice is going to die. And our employees obviously seeing that and worrying and wanting us to do something to see what their future is, okay? So culturally, they wanted to do it. Um, In fact, they're pushing for us to do it. And bearing in mind the journey we showed, they'd already seen digital and and, and been very much part of being a a much more expansive, um, outward looking business. Um, The EV piece was absolutely critical for skills that I didn't have though. Mm. So um, via Innovate UK and coming to things like this, um, Innovate UK you put me in touch well, on a whole funding journey. So I started with uh, some Innovate projects that you can bid for and Ben and Megan put you in, in touch with that. So Innovate UK can, can say get some funding. So TRL two, three, four, so if you, if you don't understand TRL, just, just Google that, that's worth understanding. So what your journey will be. So some research around what we wanted to do and some funding there. That meant that I could get around 50%, because I was a small company back then, 50 to 60% of the time back for getting somebody in. So I, couldn't, I didn't have the money, I didn't want to the risk to take a full one or two people on into my business. But the fact that I was getting half to 60% funded by somebody else made it an affordable punt, okay? Around a project with a structure that Innovate UK helped us with. Um, so we've done a bit of that. And then you've got other things for later on in your journey. So once you've got your idea and you develop your tech and you actually want to productionize it, there's other things like uh, advanced propulsion sensors. When automotive, if you want to pivot from ice uh, to EV, you can get government funding for that. Uh, So we managed to get on two major projects uh, and we managed to therefore get around about half a million uh, on each of those projects, which I could go and recruit some skills into my business. And I'd managed to find through networking events, people that I thought, I'll go and employ them because I think if they came into the business, they could bring some experience, mix that with what I've got um, and develop that technology to something that's actually now in production. And that's, that's, that was our EV journey. Never affordable without that. Never affordable without, without um, being Nissan on board, WMG, Coventry University. All of that came through Innovate UK. So thank you, Megan. Okay. <laughs> I'll say <take>
0: that. <laughs> Nothing else to say there then. Um, we'll, we'll take a uh, couple more questions, if we may. Um, bit of bad news from Mike because he gave me a, a crib sheet and I'll probably oh get on to them. But we will um, cover them outside the meeting because yeah. um, there's some very good points there on patenting, on yes. recruitment, <clears throat> also on where to get other information and your trips to Germany and so on. So take that as read and we'll make sure that information gets out to everybody. Um, One quick question online, which is um, basically Moore's Law was very interesting. How are you trying to keep ahead of your competitors? Uh,
2: So five years ago when I was sat here, um, we were developing the camera technology we didn't say everything that we were doing. Mm. Um, main reason, one I didn't want to look an idiot if it didn't work <laughs> but secondly I, I didn't want my competitors to, to know about it. So um, intellectual property, I had to learn all about how you protect that. We've got some IP lawyers on board, they're actually a charitable fund because what we do is a lot gr- It's remanufacturing so it's green so they've now come in, they've trained us in the business about what IP is, how to protect. it. So the first thing protect what we're doing. Um, and we're continuing on that journey with trying to um, develop what we're doing and just keep the, the cultures there. So it's kind of self-sustaining now. Um, I've got some really good people in the team that I don't have to get involved with much. Uh, and they're continuing to just look, go to events, just, just develop it from there. And it, one one question that, that some
0: people often ask, and, and it's maybe not specifically to this area of technology, but certainly it is in polymer science. <laughs> um, if you patent
2: things, sometimes you give away more. Ah, than yes, don't. yes. Yeah, exactly. So we, we have patented our uh, testing, our EV battery testing. Uh, and there is a risk now that they can look at that patenter and people can find a way around it. Um, but the patent we've got about, with multiple patents, is one of the things to do. So if they get around one, can they get around another? And you delay, it's, it's a really a delaying game very often, uh, but a lot of what we've got is actually, we've got a, a, rec, a record now, a, a, an asset list of intellectual property. So we're, we've gone from a, when we thought an asset list was like a, a drill or a you know, CNC machine, actually an asset list is, all of your intellectual property listed out and a trade secrets manual. So we have a trade secrets manual and you build that into your recruitment and therefore into people's employment so that they know these are the trade secrets that you can never divulge. So it's a mixture, it's a multifaceted defense strategy combined with a do not stop innovating.
0: Fantastic.
2: Okay.
0: Um, we've got time just for one more question. I think we'll have to be quite quick. Uh, I have this horrible screen here which tells
3: me we've got three <laughs> minutes. Left of time left. Oh, sorry. Hi. Um, yeah, my name is Naim Kapadia. Um, I work for the MTC uh, for 11 years. Um, I developed the first Europe smart factory uh, using legacy equipment. Um, I've now, very recently, in the last four weeks, I've uh, moved to a, uh, a, an SME company where we have that electronics manufacturing line where I've taken a challenge where I want to take that from where I stopped here, Mm. because where we we were here, where we were able to demonstrate it, but we couldn't go any further because we didn't have any products going through. Now we have a product uh, for the rail industry and i would like to take that digital. Uh, The lady that mentioned about um, equipment, now I have working with a few organizations at the moment um, to set up some form of digitalization um, to make products. Uh, we are what well, we've got at the moment is very old equipment mm-hmm. um but what we're trying to develop is a very low cost you mentioned raspberry pi mm. um we are looking around we have got a product at the moment but to the point that we want to then send that to the industry to then connect the only problem we've got at the moment is um funding is an issue at the moment um we've banks all,
2: have massively tightened up in the last we've got months. the knowledge
3: we've got the innovators we've got the people we've got the support Funding is the the obstacle. I mean, being at the MTC, the R and D funding was quite large, Mm -hmm. so we were able to tap into it. um, Being an SME, Um, but I'm quite open up to um, share the journey that I'm going to where I stopped here to take it further. So I'd be happy to, um, and I do speak to innovate and you know in in quite a lot. Um, But I'd be very interested to take some advice. To see how we can pursue, because we could be a, a demonstrator as well as you know people to come to our place to see what digitalize What's what's the art of the possible, people say. So I'm quite open for any discussion today. I'm here for the day anyway.
1: Yeah. So funding's out there. Yeah, the funding so there is funding out there, and there is more coming as well. We're just waiting for the <laughs> government to confirm the latest budgets to renovate UK. So. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the main the main thing is is a lot of our funding is collaborative. They see it as CR&D. Yeah. And I must admit, when I joined Innovate UK a year ago today, I was like, what is CR&D? All these acronyms that we're using. Collaborative Research and Development. So I hate acronyms. But, um, but there is funding out there. But it does mean that you have to have a partner. Now, that partner can be, you know, like a university or a large organisation or another SME. Yeah. And that's what Innovate UK, KTN especially, is about, that knowledge transfer network of matching you with another company to then apply for that fund, collaborative funding sure. so sure. you know come and talk to us about that you know yeah. in terms of specific projects um, but what I was thinking about as well is that kind of accessing talent so I think a lot of Mike's journey has been the people within your organisation mm. and there was like for example one young guy that was on the night shift but didn't yeah, have skills that they didn't <clears throat> know. They, you
2: know it, um... I was, so I'll go back to that 2015 because it's about to go red, but, yeah. go back <laughs> <It's> to, <laughs> told, but i 10. go back to that 2015 moment and we, we spent that £2 million and um, it gave us the data capture about what machines were running. Uh, and the night shift, 98% efficiency. Day shift, less than 50% efficiency because they kept having to call the engineer to fix this. It was station two, it was a bane of my life for a while. But station two on night never had a problem. So I came back on the light shift and realised this, spoke to Ed, and what are you doing? And he'd, found, he'd, he'd, he'd noticed what, how to get back into the system. He'd, he'd, he'd very naughtily managed to find, get a fob to log himself in and he was fixing it himself. I was, how do you fix all this? Well he'd come over from Latvia and he was, he was a highly qualified com- computer degree uh, engineer but come over here to build engines because he earns more money over here than over in Latvia. So, <clears throat> Ed's now my main programmer for all of this. Yeah. <laughs> I said, you're not on nights anymore, Ed. Yeah. So we've trained him in something different. And in fact, um, there's not enough kids going to university doing engineering degrees. There's lots of people out there doing um, IT courses. And actually, there can be a bit of oversupply. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we haven't had time to talk about that's on that crib sheet uh, is is we've always tried to put really great time-served engineers and sit them near one of the younger employees um, particularly and because they, they know the engineering, these people know the digital and just get them sitting next to the desk and they start off with, oh, can you, I can't get this window to open or my PC's crashed again. Um, And so it's not a two-way street, it's not always the engineer is really busy being asked by the young graduate, how do you do this or how do you do this, I'm teaching in my job. It's a cultural two-way thing. Very quickly when they realise how much better they're working together, that's another great way of just integrating the people bit.
0: Brilliant. Okay, thank you very much. We've only slightly gone over the red, so appreciate (coughs) that. Um, I'd like you to come to the headmaster's study. Briefly. Um, Thank you ever so much. Perhaps we can thank our speakers in the usual way. (laughs) Thank you. And for those of you who want to carry on and see the next session on robotics and automation, there's nothing you need to do. If you need to leave and go somewhere else, please leave by the right-hand door as I look at it, the left-hand door as you look at it, so we can operate a one-way system. Thank you very much for attending. Thank you for listening to Talking Industry. Stay tuned across all podcast apps, follow us on social, subscribe to our newsletters, and keep up to date at talkingindustry.org.